You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Indians. On today's show, we're going to talk about the minor moves the Indians made, uh, pun unintentionally made. We will talk about uh, some more injury reports around the league. We'll take a day in history as it comes to the Cleveland Indians. And, uh, yeah, we'll just kind of go from there. We'll see uh, how much time is remaining. Let's start out with that injury report. So another two arms, uh, I don't want to say bite the dust, but another two arms are hurt, one of which won't start the season. And uh, the Astros are still down Jordan Alvarez, who had a minor knee issue, but now he may not, you know, it's like, will he be ready for opening day? They still think so. But, uh, I mean, that opens the way for Kyle Tucker, that's for sure. That's a situation that bears watching. As you know, they've already taken some hits this year with the Astros. Eric Lauer, who was a, a big part of the return the Brewers got for in their uh, Trent Gresham deal, not going to start the year uh, with the team. He's going to be on the injured list. Ohio kid, Kent State kid, former first-round pick. Uh, the Brewers are really strong at pitcher development. Um, if you look past Corbin Burns, I still don't know what happened there. I thought he was going to be a star in the making. Um, some of the guys they've tried to add on the cheap haven't worked out as well either. But uh, I thought Lauer was a, a really interesting guy. He's always been a strong athlete for his position. Good control, command, uh, average, above average stuff. Uh, so it's, it's a shame. You know, you like to see the local kids um, perform. And then Max Scherzer dealing with side discomfort. It doesn't sound like it's anything that's going to sideline him, but. Uh, Anytime there's any discomfort with a pitcher, I see the word discomfort, it makes me nervous. So the Indians had a uh, minor announcement. Again, unintentional pun, but uh, I'm enjoying the unintentional pun of it all. They're going to, they, they did their first set of uh, reassignments as they were, you know, the first cuts from camp. And these shouldn't come as a huge surprise. Uh, Tristan McKenzie and Juan Carlos Mejia uh, both missed significant amounts of last year. Both are on the 40-man uh, with injuries. Uh, interesting right-handed arms. They're not anywhere. I mean, they're not even... They got rust to work off, let alone anything else. That should not be a surprise that those two um, got sent down. We'll see if McKenzie can bounce back. I mean, a, a bounce back to McKenzie uh, could, could be really important to the Indians, either as a relief role, potentially another starter, or as a valuable trade chip because... If he comes back and has a strong year, that's going to put him on the cusp of the majors, the cusp uh, of the majors, and that could make him extremely valuable because as we're going through basically every day and pointing out pitching injuries, most teams don't have anywhere near the depth the Indians have. Um, you know, we're, we're not with the days of long ago where the Indians had, you know, arguably at one point in time when you look at heading into last season, one could sit back and be like, the Indians might have five of the top 20 pitchers in baseball all on their roster. Kluber got hurt. Carrasco got sick. Bauer got traded. Um, is kind of the way to get through it. We're not at those days anymore. The roster, the pitching staff is a lot thinner, uh, but there is a lot of potential guys and teams need arms. So McKenzie is a, an important part of the team, even though he's not with the team. And the third piece, Sam Henkes. Now he is interesting as he's you know six foot eight, two forty five, he looks more like he should be um, a defensive end or maybe an offensive tackle for the Browns. I know two forty five is well under the weight for both of those. I, I know you don't have to correct me. Former hockey player, as uh, as I recall, uh, just a big kid. 
uh, Minnesotan, I want to say. High school, six-round draft pick, uh, left-hander. I'm trying to pull it all up. I had kind of gotten past that data. He got hurt a few times in the minors. He's already on the 40-man. And I kind of wonder, honestly, I mean, they're going to run him out as a starter for as long as possible. Now, he struggled with some effectiveness a year ago. Um, I think what stood out was the velocity this spring. I mean, so much so that, like, uh, Francisco Lindor was commenting on it. But let's see. Yeah, Henkes is was a fourth-round pick. My bad. Uh, but, you know, he's 23. He'll be 24 this July. And he was drafted in 2014. So this is his sixth season. Or I'm sorry, he finished his sixth season. This is his seventh season um, in the, the Indians minors. And at some point, you know, he last year in double A, he had 26 starts, which was the most of his career. It's only the second time I believe he hit 20 starts in an entire season. Um, the previous one had been 2018. He, he, he didn't miss as many bats as you'd think a lefty with his velocity would miss. Uh, he's still walking a lot of guys. The home run rate is not bad, but then you think about Akron. A really high bat pip, so the question then becomes, like, in the minors last two years, he's had very high bat pips, which normally, big, oh, he's unlucky. But in the minors, that can often be a sign when you combine that with the low lower strikeout rates for his stuff. That can be a sign that his stuff is hittable. So we'll have to watch. Honestly, I think um, his future might be reliever. I mean, with that size, he could be, you know, just an imposing presence. You come in, be a, a middle relief guy, especially with that velocity. That seems like a, a strong future for him. I'm still not 100% honestly sold on him as a starter. We will see. But, yeah, Henkes was just in terms of uh, if the Indians need an arm, much like the other two. I mean, he's already on the roster, but unlike the other two, he pitched the, the previous season. So uh, definitely keep your eyes on him. Uh, though at the same time, him being sent down kind of shows where he is in the pecking order at this point. Um, there are quite a few guys still in camp with the Indians who would appear to be ahead of him when it comes to uh, promotionary timelines. I want to remind everyone to check out the Locked On MLB podcast. I know I will be on there at some point this year to talk the Indians. It is the number one podcast network, podcast on our network for baseball, and it's one of the top baseball podcasts around. So I talked about uh, today's in, today in Indians history. Now I do have some ulterior motive. We'll see if we can start to figure out what that ulterior motive is in a bit. So in 1966, on this day, the Indians traded for Lou Pinella. Uh, they traded a reserve catcher, Camilo uh, Caron, uh, and you know they ended up with uh, Pinella played all of six games for them. Uh, so that was, that was just more interesting. I mean, for me, Lou Pinella is more a, a manager than anything else in my mind. The other thing I saw listed here is that the Indians signed Johnny Peralta to a $13 million five-year deal, which included a club option for 2011. Now, this is interesting because let's go talk about Johnny Peralta for a moment. Uh, Peralta... We talked about some on the all-time Indians. One of the more underrated Indians, honestly, during his time in Cleveland. Uh, never a top prospect. I don't think he was ever even like a top 10 Indians prospect at any point. Um, part of that, I think, is partially due to a bit of a weird developmental curve um, with him as well. I was hoping to 
pull up his uh, minor league data right here. But what stands out with Peralta is that he he debuted with the Indians at the age of 21. Uh, he had spent some time that year in AAA. He had actually spent all of 2002 at the tender age of 20 in AA and had a really strong season. Like nowadays, Peralta would be a prospect. He'd be a highly ranked prospect. We know how that Akron Park suppresses power. The fact that he had 28 home runs or 28 doubles and 15 home runs and a 800 OPS and 45 walks, that would have made him a guy that we were like, okay, this guy is at age 20 in double A. Yes, please. So he goes to Buffalo. Um, he's struggling down there. Omar Vizcal gets hurt and he kind of moves to replace him. Uh, the next year he would return in, it's, it's a struggle for him if we're being honest, when he gets that opportunity uh, in the big leagues. He returns to AAA in 2004, plays pretty much a full season there, and 44 doubles, 15 home runs, 326 batting average, and that's age 22. Um, His previous time, it wasn't like he fully repeated the level. He only had 63 games before he went and played at the major league level. Uh, he was still six years below the average age of a guy in uh, in the majors at that point and five years behind the International League average. And in his first year in Cleveland, uh, it's one of the better seasons a shortstop has really had, in my opinion, uh, as a rookie. And again, this is a guy who's top 50 all-time in terms of uh, war for the Indians. His season in uh 2005 was uh, he hit 292, 366 on base, 520 slugging. He had uh, 24 home runs, a 4.3 WAR. Uh, when you go over to the stats and pull them up in 2005, if we are looking at short stops, he was tied for the best runs created plus with Michael Young uh, that year at 136. Third is Derek Jeter. Fourth, Miguel Tejada. Five, Felipe Lopez. Uh, I could keep going just to show how bad shortstop was at the time. Bill Hall, six. Julio Lugo, seven. David Eckstein, eight. Rafael Furcal, nine. Jimmy Rollins, ten. It's uh, Russ Adams, who you may or may not remember, was 12th with an 86. Like that, It's not a strong group at the time. And here is Peralta, who is in his early 20s offensively and his defensive value was about league average uh young and jeters were below average uh so the i mean the the defensive guys Eckstein and lopez stood out in terms of the top end omar was 13th if you were curious uh after he went to the giants his defensive value was still high though uh which made him over a two win player but on the strength of basically that season he was able to get that contract extension and it's it's hard to argue that that was a, a bad choice by the Indians, even though there was some regression after that initial strong debut. You know, I'm sure when they had him, and I know I for one was was super excited after that 2005 season. I think I drafted him in every single fantasy league because back then I was in like four or five, and Peralta was you know I'm like it's just you know, the shortstop position's awful, and he can hit for power and he's. 23 and he is just going to keep getting better and better and better uh over the length of that contract just in case you're curious he the highest he ever made from that initial contract i believe was was it yeah through 2011 5.25 million so the indians got one extra year of control and kept his value way down uh yeah i mean he was you go through the 
for he didn't make a million dollars until his third season in 2007. It was the Indians locked him up pretty early on. Um, the, eventually they flipped him because they didn't have a great spot for him. And there were some money concerns, and it was, again, $6 million. He has fun for the regard that, like, he was replaced by Estrubal Cabrera, who's his number one similar batter. And from age 26 to 33, his most, uh, his comp in terms of most similar by age. His age 34 is Jay Bell, former Indian. Age 35, Brandon Phillips, former Indian. And when you look at the by-year things, Travis Fryman, former Indian, also in there, as well as Bell Phillips on and former Indian Juan Uribe. So a lot of a lot of Indians on that list with this. Now, Peralta for his ups and downs, his foibles. You know, 2006 down year comes back to earth. 2007 still hits 20 home runs from the shortstop position. Hits 23 and 2008. And then 2007, he the, the the power fades a bit, the average goes down, and and that's when the struggle goes. And he would kind of struggle those next few years as age 27, age 28 year. He would get traded to Detroit for Giovanni Soto and, and rebound in a big way with them, have arguably his best season in 2011 at age 29. Um, I know there's been steroids and issues, but he'd make three all-star teams after he left Cleveland all in his 30s. Uh, the home runs, you know, he was more of a guy in the teens, but just always a, a mess of doubles. And again, underrated shortstop uh, for the Indians. And how this all ties into the current is he was the last time the Indians had a, a hot young shortstop and they were able to lock him up and keep him. Um, Astrubal Cabrera, I know people might make that case, and the Indians did also lock up Astrubal, but. Uh, for what Estrubal did well, his offensive, I know he had the big offensive breakout year. Thanks. Thanks to, it wasn't Uribe. Uribe was the one with, um, who worked well with Jose Ramirez. Uh, the former giants guy, I'm going to pause. Like, and I'm struggling to find it. So I'm going to throw it out there. I feel like there was a former giants infielder, maybe outfielder who was credited with like talking with Estrubal about his, his swing. Cause you know, he'd been a, a low power guy until 2011 and he uh then bust out with 25 home runs that year uh he would eventually let's see when would he sign his extension with the indians uh i thought it was around 2016 and you know his his monetarily was he made up to 10 million with that contract before he left and for his career he's up to 60 million and I don't know, for whatever reason, it never felt like Astrubal was was truly the Indian shortstop. I mean, he had those the great moments, but the issue I saw with him was, you know, great debut, out of shape, great year, struggles the next. Then he, that 2011, 2012 were great, and 2013 was mediocre, leading to 2014 that was really not great before he was traded away. So uh, it is interesting, though, that those are the last two shortstops the Indians had. Uh, both uh, Hispanic origin players who the Indians were able to lock up. Of course, the difference between them and Francisco Lindor is about a mile wide um, when you're talking about two serviceably strong players the Indians had uh, versus one of the greatest players in franchise history already. And interestingly, I mean, the better comp probably is Peralta just because when they signed him to his extension, he was the number one uh, offensive shortstop in baseball. 
And again, the difference between a Lindor and a Peralta is a Lindor uh, got a sizable bonus. He didn't have that extra pressure to uh, to sign. He, uh, Lindor had money that he could put away. In some regards, you can almost look at the minor leagues that way. as <laughs> it's, it's making p- players poorer and making them more desperate to sign a contract. Um, they spend the time down there. They're, not get, they're getting paid below minimum wage. And if you don't have that big bonus, when someone all of a sudden starts offering you a lot of money, it's going to make it all the more appealing. For Lindor, that wasn't a thing. He was a top 10 pick. He had a good amount of money. He got to the majors. Uh, he made an immediate impact, and he kept going from there. And he, you know, if they had any chance, it was <laughs> maybe before he got to the, the majors even. But at the same time, there was not a single person who thought Francisco Lindor would become what he is today. He moved through the minors quickly, and there were good numbers, but the power and everything else, that was not shown. I, you know, At the time, the pie-in-the-sky comp was a Derek Jeter type of player. I think he, at peak, has exceeded what, what Jeter was at peak, as much as that's going to be sacrilege to some. Uh, we'll have to see if we can keep going, but you know, Lindor is on the the Hall of Fame track so far, and it's I think that's what's hard when you're an Indians fan. You know, in any other sport, when you have a Hall of Famer, they have made it very easy for you to retain that player. Um, and, you know, hockey and basketball, yeah, a guy can go somewhere else, but you have typically a competitive advantage to keeping that guy in football. Uh, I mean, you can just keep franchising someone until the day is uh, done and you can keep that guy. And that's that's the unfortunate kind of sad thing, I think, with baseball. Like... I really would love the books to be opened up. I would really like to see the monetary situation. I would um, I would like to see something closer to, you know, the NFL or the NBA system. And, and I know there's going to be people who are just so anti-against it and there always have. And honestly, like, I think a salary floor is also needed. So some of these teams uh, are forced to spend a little bit more money uh, figuring some stuff out. Uh, but... What I feel like with baseball is, yes, we can complain about ownership, and rightfully so. You know, I, I saw today someone defending ownership, and it's like, yes, yes. If one of his top four points is the fact that he's not uh, the learner, not the learners, learners were miles ahead of the Haslam's. You know, if one of his top four points is he's not Haslam, that's that's not a, a great, uh, you know, showing of, of if he's good or not. So... I really feel that no matter what happens with ownership, one of the big problems here is just the way baseball is a little bit broken. Um, You know, it's a sport where they can't market themselves well. Writing jobs are disappearing all the time. Sites are not caring or covering. You you just go to ESPN. They, They kept Buster. And he does his daily piece for them. And Jeff Passan is great. I, I don't want to view this as a, a hit on him on any level. He is fantastic. But he is also the newsbreaker. And that's all they essentially care about is who breaks news. That's that's what's important. It's not the deep diving analysis. They got rid of a lot of their deep diving analysis guys. And, you know, I, I my own experience of my site deciding baseball is not in its future. Or, you know, th- there's been other sites that, that go away. And baseball needs to... It's not a dying sport by any regard, but it is interesting that it is a sport that, you know, as we're dealing with the fact that uh, media members are going to be kept out of clubhouses, and, and it is sad. Um, it's a little overblown by some, I feel like. Yes, I mean, 
I don't know. I, I never get good bites when I'm in there. It's more that that helps to get to know players. So eventually they will give you good information later. But I feel like, you know, what we get oftentimes in the clubhouse is is not the most valuable piece of information. But uh, I, what hurts, though, is that losing that access to a sport that is already not doing well in terms of its media, in terms of how it sells itself, in terms of how it markets itself, in terms of, you know, just to be honest, it's like everything that happened with LeBron both times has made it so I haven't watched an NBA game since he left. I, I no longer really care about basketball. It's no longer a sport that matters much to me. I mean, outside of the draft, because again, I'm a 30 year old born and raised in the Northeast Ohio area. So uh, the draft is always interesting, but uh, the rest of it, it's like it kind of killed basketball, the whole loss of stars. And I'm sure there's going to be people out there who are like, after Lindor leaves, they're going to be like, okay, that's like Lindor and Tomy, and we had to trade away Kluber, and the never-ending stream of loss eventually kind of kills people. It, it kills their interest. And that is my biggest concern with the, the Cleveland Indians in this Lindor situation. Um, you know, I think they'll make the best of it. I trust this front office. They're very good at, at the deals they make. But I'm more concerned about the interaction with the fans, the fans who are just going to be done or put off and where we go from here how we continue to go uh orlando cabrera sorry that that's the shortstop right orlando cabrera i'm gonna go look what year that was in the middle of my diatribe it hit of course but um yeah uh that's my concern i I, a team like the indians it's it's easy to get buried in the losses over the years in spite of it being a well-run team who has been, you know, as competitive as any Cleveland sports team outside of, you know, the only way that you could be better was LeBron era, era Cavs because LeBron was head and shoulder, you know, he was the Mike Trout of his time in a sport where Mike Trout has, you know, in the NBA, you have infinitely more impact on the game. But that's where I am. Let's just kind of end here. You know, the finances and the talk is never going to go away all year. It's just, it is what it is. And it's unfortunate. And... We're never probably going to see a salary cap. Uh, baseball kind of has the thing of being the last uncapped major uh, U.S. sport, but uh, it needs to do something. It's, you know, they need to owners need to be willing to spend more or give up more of the money to get a cap in place or to you know introduce something because it's going to kill fan bases to continually lose their stars. And yes, in a world where uh, maybe the Indians have better ownership. They could keep Lindor, and maybe that could happen. It is conceivable. But at the same time, who wants to be ownership in Cleveland? I mean, yes, it's it, there's always someone who's interested. But the you know the guy who was kind of setting up to be the heir apparent quickly jumped on the Kansas City train. Um, Cleveland as a sports franchise, it's in the MLB. It's not going to be the most desirable thing i would be curious to see who would come out who would be interested and how things would change and money would go i do think it it's a good thing at this point to consider going forward so that is my inadvertent talking about lindor because that's all everyone else talked about i hope you enjoyed the show a look at history a look at some appreciation of uh, johnny peralta and really a magical not rookie season uh looking through some of the players some of the moves We will tomorrow, barring anything, do all-time second base before we then get to head over to the pitchers. Thank you all. You have been awesome. I have been Jeff Ellis. And as always, go Tribe.